0: Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and
1: Luke Boyd. Hello out there.
0: Hi. We've finished our renovations and we've reopened for the public.
1: (laughs) The The Morbid Museum collection, you know, was on hold. It was in dry storage. You know, it was going to be at a pop-up, but that fell through Mm -hmm. at Bryant Park. And now it's back (laughs) in the cybersphere.
0: Yay! Wow, I missed you guys. Luke, how the hell are you? How the hell are how the you? How the hell are me? you? Have you been, baby? We're good. We're
1: just rolling through these 2020s, let me tell you. You know, Ugh. we're entering our third calendar year of the Morbid Museum. Coming to Wild. You in 2024.
0: Crazy, crazy. Historical.
1: Um, Thanks for being good for me.
0: Good. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. We ditched you guys for a while. We were both burnt to a crisp. Yes. <laughs> the holidays were... Um, I'm not being dramatic when I use the word punishing.
1: It's my favorite <laughs> description for <laughs> for that time of year.
0: That time of year. Uh, My daughter's birthday is also in December. I actually bought a house this fall. So between moving, birthday, holidays, just... D- struggling to take a breath we just we decided you know what let's let's pause her for a minute and i'm so glad that we did because i feel tanned ready and rested as you, you like are, to say we Luke.
1: are richard nixon ready to duke it out in the late 60s or the 70s whatever it was
0: um, uh, yeah,
1: i was on a walkabout in australia um i had a really <laughs> positive experience um no if you, if you if that's code for i watched probably 1300 different True crime documentaries.
0: I was say, did you watch the movie Australia?
1: Yeah, I didn't leave my house. I burned through hundreds of, hundreds of dollars on Seamless. Um, <laughs> a lot of self-care, a lot of hibernation going on. That's but, it. Um, the, the thaw, it's a lot of thawing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Coming out of my thaw. My thaw. Yeah. We're thawing out.
1: I have lots of thoughts, all right?
0: <laughs> so, so happy to be back. And I thought the best way I could possibly return is to send all of you A little love by picking a story that, to me, reflects the most romantic time of the year. Right? Cuffing Um, season. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was thinking of Valentine's Day. So I thought, what better way to pay homage to Valentine's Day than by covering the Valentine's Day Massacre?
1: You know, you lost me for a second, but the logic is sound overall. <laughs> I get the them- thematic connection. I don't think we have to review this thread. I'm glad we're just proceeding with it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so tell us some more about what you're going to be serving us today, my dear.
0: So, <laughs> so St. Valentine's Day, Massacre. First of all, I realized when I chose this topic, I was like, I don't think we've talked about gang violence at all on the show. I don't. Besides
1: think the gangs of New York.
0: Right, which is largely fictitious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we've 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 restricted our comments to the Bowery Boys. Um, yes, you know, which
0: d- is connected
1: to and other boy. nationalists at all. You know, yes,
0: yes, it's tangentially connected to this story. But yeah, no, like real like gangsters, we haven't done that at all. So I'm so excited because when I was a teenager, Luke, I don't even know if you know this, but when I was a teenager, I was I got into uh, organized crime. Not like I was in organized crime. I was interested. No, it was a great learning subject for a kid. Absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> it's I... like right there. It's local. Exactly. I got really into A uh, and E had a biography series, and they were doing like a gangster marathon, and I blew through those.
1: We've been and, living in a gangster zeitgeist since like the '40s, since the '30s, since these guys were these big heavy hitters in the 20th century.
0: I know, and I I specifically was mostly interested in like the um, the Jewish mob of the 1920s in New York, Murdering. like mm-hmm. Murder Inc. Meyer Lansky, mm-hmm. Bugs Bugsy mm-hmm. Siegel, and then moving on to Lucky Luciano and the National Crime Syndicate, but of course. The amazing, terrifying scourge of Chicago, public enemy number one, Al Capone, was mm-hmm. someone I also learned a shit ton about. So I, I'm just so excited to be doing this topic because it's well, I mean, it's it's actually very large when you're looking at it in its total scope of fucking crime in the 20s. Yeah. But we're zeroing in on this one event because I think it I think it tells the whole story pretty well. Um, but this is really taking me back to my to my teens, which I sounds think, weird when you say it out loud. <laughs> well, it is.
1: And it's also the, the the sort of unspoken, morbid thing that I think we've nursed all of our lives, you know. Yeah. And it was all the kinds of stuff we were served on USA and TNT and these, like, obviously the content that was available at our fingertips in the spare hours between our obligations in school and otherwise. That's and it was so- all Unsolved Mysteries and, you know, flight Eight hundred like conspiracies, you know, picking <laughs> apart whatever horrible things that happened. Like, uh, yeah, a way in. This was a um, way in
0: was through this organized crime theme, right? And also, like uh, that, the weird, like m- morbid curiosity, if you will. Um, those were some of the earliest like crime scene death photos I ever saw. Where if I were watching a TV show about organized crime, I remember the first time I saw the v- the photos of like Bonnie and Clyde like their car after they yeah. been murdered like yeah. cuz the internet wasn't totally in full swing like that by the time i was 13 14 years no. old that shit was just starting so like
1: yeah it was my uh, my it, parents had a time life like picture book
0: oh yeah that, that for sure. and that
1: always right? has like right it has like the 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 guy um, the guy who like immolated himself the, the monk who set himself on fire yeah. like yeah, you yeah. know like Like ridiculous, these glossy black and white images, like a woman who had fallen to her death from a high building, like like her body in a car, like as as a kid, you're like, oh my god, it's like it's like melting off the page. It's like it seems like it's you can't even look at. It's just sitting there in the book the whole time. The way we consumed illicit media was all print. If we could, if we, you know, if we if we were able to encounter it, and like yeah, those spare fleeting moments, like civil war photography, to like I feel like yeah, the mob shots. It's all very. I know,
0: and like I I was so disturbed and haunted by that stuff as a kid. Whereas now I feel like if someone some 13, 14 year old now sees those photos, they'd be like, who cares? <laughs> like, so what? <laughs> right. You know, we're so desensitized. But that idea of a sensationalized photo is a very important part of this story. So let's mm-hmm. let's put that in our back pocket for A, a second.
1: little food for thought, got it.
0: Yeah. I also need to say, before I really jump in, my favorite part of doing this research for this episode, Luke, was that I watched a bunch of different videos that featured these Chicago historians with the strongest fucking accents you've ever heard in your life.
1: (laughs) We love a Chicago cop.
0: Oh my God! I also realized we really haven't spent a ton of time in the Midwest here at the Morbid Museum. We only hung out there for Leopold and Lobe. Leopold I think. and Loeb. yeah. And, and again, we're in the same we're in the same place, but they were a little they were a little fancier. We're hanging out with the real scourge of chicago of chicago in this episode different
1: body count sorry gay elites yes they (laughs) they took out one kid sorry to say yeah you want
0: to know the perfect crime pretty much anyone these fucking people killed (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i get ready i'm gonna be bouncing back and forth between a chicago accent sounding like a 1920s gangster if you stop listening now i understand i'm sorry But well, my
1: disclaimer is that I may or may not be leaning into my knowledge of the subject, which is gleaned mostly from movies that I've seen surrounding Al Capone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You could have just said, "Based on movies that I've seen," because that's pretty much all we contribute to each other's episodes.
1: (laughs) In case you didn't realize, I'll be doing quotes. This the whole thing to be a sound sound cue for me. Katie's going to talk about something. It'll sound cute for me. I will try to elegantly wait for a moment to interject or just steamroll thinking that it will be superior and contributing to the moment.
0: Will there be a musical theater
1: reference? Likely. If we're lucky. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome back to the Morbid Museum. Here we go. So in brief... The St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the murder of seven members and associates of Chicago's North Side Gang, and it occurred on February 14th, 1929. The massacre is actually an unsolved mystery and that we don't actually know who ordered this hit or who pulled the trigger. What we do know, however, is that more likely than not, the intended target was George Bugs Moran, who was the leader of Chicago's North Side Gang. And that it was probably, definitely, more likely than not, orchestrated by the South Side gang leader, Mr. Al Capone. Now, before we jump into the murders, let's talk Chicago in the 1920s. Let's <laughs> that's <cool>. that's, that's go. <laughs> Chicago way. <laughs> okay. Dingling, dingling, dingling. I wanted so much to just do the entire intro of the musical Chicago, but I'm not going to do that to you guys. <laughs> it seems unfair. So, on January 16th, 1919, one of the truly defining moments of the early 20th century occurs when the 18th Amendment was ratified. Mm. In case you forgot, it banned the manufacture, importation, and sale of alcohol. <laughs>
1: Prohibition, indeed.
0: Prohibition. Now, not some people make this mistake. Not consumption of. Mm. Manufacture, importation, and sale of. It's a distinction. An important one. As we know, the intentions behind this were so good. Alcoholism certainly was, and certainly still is, a very serious problem. Yes. That being said, the government did not understand, and the government kind of still doesn't understand, that... When you take something away, you create a void that yes. people will find a way to fill, and there becomes an extraordinary opportunity for a black market to form. Uh, hello, War on Drugs. How are you? <laughs> we never learn. We really don't. <laughs> so, if you don't, if you want people to stop getting a thing, just make it more available. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. It's it's like the Europeans got this right, sort of, and we're really slow to catch up on know. the vices. Yeah.
0: I know. So the creation of this prohibition on alcohol creates a booming industry for mobsters. illicit organized criminal behavior. Exactly. So with the booze, they're usually either smuggling it in from Canada, aka bootlegging, or... Mm. Or they're simply making their own hooch and then selling that underground via speakeasies. Bathtub gin, trucking their shit all around. Rum running, (laughs) (laughs) all of that. Uh, He was a rum runner. Yeah, a rum runner. A A rum runner so money the money that was being made by these guys is unbelievable even by today's standards it's crazy how much money these dudes had. we're talking millions of dollars in the yes.
1: 20s yeah and there's like wh- there's nary an income tax
0: nine yeah. also it really helps when you don't actually report your income
1: because <laughs> why would you why in the world would you
0: fuck that i don't care <laughs> So, there's money to be made, and therefore, there's competition. And when there's competition between sociopaths prone to violence they're generally not going to be very interested in sharing the wealth. (laughs) So this leads to incredible gang-related violence and full-out gang wars in New York and Chicago, but obviously Mm -hmm. we're focusing on Chicago today. Other money-making industries that flourish at this time are gambling and prostitution. Uh, And as an example, by the way, one of the greatest earners of the time would have been Capone. And I believe his greatest... Uh, income would have been around uh da, 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 da. it was like 60 million a year and in six 19- zero. Six zero, 60 yeah. million. and in 1927 his net worth was 100 million dollars.
1: It's like a shit ton of money in the
0: night 19- great time for crime. Thank you prohibition. <laughs>
1: Right. And that buys him an executive suite in Eastern State Penitentiary.
0: Amongst many other places.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Among many other privileges.
0: We'll come back to that. But yeah, while these assholes made millions, the city of Chicago was hell. It was terrifying and had earned this dreadful reputation for criminality and extraordinary violence, but without question, one of the most notorious and frankly, kind of history-changing moment is the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Mm. So let's talk about some of our main characters here. And of course, we have to start with Al Capone, also known as Scarface, Mm -hmm. because he had a scar on his face. (laughs) (laughs) Not the most clever nickname, but accurate. Uh, He did not like that name, (laughs) shockingly.
1: (laughs) Nobody calls me Scarface.
0: Except everyone. (laughs) So he uh Al Capone is synonymous with Chicago gang violence. You know, he's the most famous gangster of all time.
1: Yes, he is one of the huge like chief figures of organized crime in the 20th century. Like
0: Yeah, I feel like I could name I could name a Bugsy Siegel, I could name a lucky Luciano, and people would be like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then you name Al Capone, and they're like, oh yeah, well fucking Al Capone, and then they list like a bunch of things they know about Al Capone. <laughs> yeah and uh here's i you're gonna love this luke so he's originally born in brooklyn
1: yeah he's not like from from chicago
0: He is not he's not from chicago he's from brooklyn his birth name is alphonse gabriel capone he's alphonse born Zarela. yeah exactly he's born january 17th 1899 and here's what's up guys i am also Brooklyn born. I am also of Italian heritage. My birthday is January 20th, and my confirmation name is Gabriella.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, what you're saying is that you are the cursed step granddaughter of Al Capone.
0: Exactly. Where are my millions?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have a claim to the Capone estate, you get a little piece of Eastern State Penitentiary. Yay!
0: No, thankfully that's where the similarities between the two of us. Are. So he, he
1: cuts his teeth, or in this case his face, in
0: New York. <laughs> uh yes, he does. Um from and from a very early age, he was just a total piece of shit. <laughs> he was I mean just a garbage person from day one. For example, he was kicked out of school at the age of 14 because he hit his female teacher in the face.
1: <laughs> I could just imagine that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to hit you because you're a woman? <laughs> is that what you think, Miss Jones? Is, you that think, what you, is that what you, you think? You think you know so much with your fractions? <laughs> I put a fraction in your cheekbone. <laughs> how about that?
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's great. So, uh, yeah, he didn't have much in the way of schooling.
1: No, because
0: <laughs> he got the boot from school. Yeah, like many young men living in the poor areas of New York City with immigrant parents and no education, he right. fell in into. In
1: 1913,
0: yeah, yeah, he fell into a gang, sure. and he was actually part of some of the best known gangs in New York City, from the Bowery Boys the Brooklyn Rippers, and the Five Points Gang. He was in some of those really, really like well-known... The
1: Brooklyn Rippers, you don't hear enough about them.
0: Not nearly enough, no. No. <laughs> God, I loved them. Anyway, <laughs> uh, his mentor in this lovely life of crime that he was building was Johnny Torrio. And Johnny Torrio convinces Capone to come join him in Chicago, where they would both work under Crime Boss and really the founding father of the Italian mafia in Chicago, James Big Jim Colosimo. Mm. Uh, Capone's first gig uh, in Chicago was working the door as a bouncer in Colosimo's brothel. This is also likely where he met his lifelong best friend, Syphilis. (laughs) Syphilis. Uh-huh. Capone was a notorious hobbag. <laughs> <laughs> he was a for sure. He was a hoo-er. Yeah, he definitely contracted syphilis while working the door at the Brothel. And what's really crazy that maybe some people don't realize this, he knew he had it. Mhm. Pretty much everyone knows they have it yeah. once it starts. Yeah. And by then there actually was some treatment for it, but he didn't want to pursue that. Because he was embarrassed, which is the most macho, toxic, toxic, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hate yeah, him.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. No, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. But I am still gonna fuck my wife and all these ladies. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. I'm afraid of a waiting room, but you know, yeah. carrying a gun in my
0: ass for 40 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Seriously. Grow up here. And I do want to do an episode in the future on sort of the t- this terrible like syphilis epidemic we were having in this country for a long period of time. It was a real scourge uh before penicillin came into existence so i'd love to talk about that in the future because you know i love me a horrible plague
1: (laughs) yes we do
0: yes and apparently it might have uh started with capone (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) well he definitely didn't help so anyway like all of these guys at some point or another colosimo is murdered Mm -hmm. (laughs) the big boss big jim Uh, And likely Capone was part of that murder. We've
1: seen that movie.
0: Have we seen that movie? We've We've seen that movie. We've seen that movie. Uh, And so Torrio takes over as boss. And so Capone Mm. also moves up the ladder too. There is an assassination attempt on Torrio. And he decides, I've had it. Chicago's crazy. I'm going back to Brooklyn. (laughs) Getting out. And that's when Capone slides into place as the boss of the Italian-American Crime Syndicate, a.k.a. The Outfit, or the Chicago Mafia, or the Chicago Mob, the Chicago Crime Family, the South Side Gang, or the organization in Chicago.
1: <laughs> they never went by La Cosa Nostra. No. <laughs> <laughs> New York only.
0: Just <laughs> No, they did not. <laughs> they had the black hand in Chicago, though, before uh-huh. The Sicilian Mm -hmm. uh, mafia, but anyway, irrelevant. I'm going to mostly just call it the South Side Gang because the massacre essentially is considered South Side versus North Side. So Mm -hmm. just for just for ease of understanding. Yes. uh, Capone is South Side. So this guy's incredibly powerful. And while he might not have been the sharpest tool in the shed, Based on his uh, schooling, Uh, he was very organized. He considered himself a real businessman rather than just a thug. However, he was ruthless as hell. He gave zero shits about human life. Mm -hmm. His favorite, you know, companion was a fucking Thompson's machine gun Mm -hmm. famous for loving the Tommy gun, made it very popular. Uh, And when he wanted something, he pursued it intensely. And he apparently also was very charismatic was a good hang as as many sociopaths can be seemingly fun (laughs) but you know they just don't have feelings like normal people have feelings (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think his feelings
1: around his syphilis are also an extension of the sociopathy Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) definitely it's not about anybody else and what the potential that this the potential harm that this is going to cause to other people (laughs) horrors say it's the same mentality of someone who's like oh, my enemy is in this restaurant, so I'm just going to riddle this restaurant with hundreds of bullets. Yeah, other people are going to die, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's these guys. I mean, they're fucking horrible. Part of the trade-off. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when he wanted something, there was no stopping him, and above all else, he wanted to control Chicago's black market. So let's discuss his major obstacle, an object of vengeance and disdain, and a constant thorn in his side, George Bugs Moran and the North Side Gang. Moran is—he's uh, so interesting. I hadn't looked into him much prior to this.
1: He sounds like a Mick Irish bastard,
0: doesn't he? Though here's <laughs> what I found out: he is always thought of and often referred to in many publications as an Irish gangster. This motherfucker is French Canadian. <laughs> The old switcheroo. He sure did. He was born in 1893, so a couple years older than Capone, but not much. His birth name is Adelaide Cunin. Oh, big,
1: big time invention. Okay. French. Yeah.
0: His father was a French immigrant. So his dad was an off the boat Frenchman. Right. And his mother was of Canadian descent uh, and Quebecois. Super French. So very French. And they were born in Saint Saint Paul, Minnesota. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Saint, Paul. Saint Paul. So, so he, so at some point, he drops his French background. Background. Yeah.
0: So it would seem from the research that I did, he got arrested in 1912. Which this mm-hmm. dude got arrested constantly.
1: <laughs> right. Probably 30 or 40 times per alias. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he <laughs> like a lot of them. He started as very like small time, you know, fraud and. A little bank robbing here and there. Nothing too crazy. Nothing Um, else to do in St. Paul. What the fuck are you going to do? So uh, it was his 1912 arrest where from that point on, he was known as George Moran, which I guess he just kind of thought of on the spot. Didn't kill a guy and take his wallet. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) He fucking... uh, Right. George Moran is just so pedestrian.
1: It's so (laughs) pedestrian. So normal.
0: There's some argument as to whether or not he just picked like as generic normal Irishy name to help him in the underworld, this growing Irish mafia thing. Yeah. Or if it was just so that his parents never knew Mm -hmm. uh, about when, if he ended up in the papers, they wouldn't know that it was him.
1: Disappears. Yeah.
0: Sure. So, but don't really know. It was, I didn't, I didn't discover that. Um, He's not the main part of the story. He's not, not he's not, he's He's an important part of the story, (laughs) but uh, by the time prohibition rolls around, in 1920, Moran was already a career criminal and was part of the North Side Gang in Chicago. So the leader of the North Side Gang was a man named Dion O'Banyan. And I'm pretty sure now, he was right. 100% Irish. <laughs> I was
1: just, you know, I was given, I was bamboozled, my first guess, but I would still stand by. Motherfuckers, Irish. Oh, Banyan. Oh, Banyan,
0: you bastard, get in here. <laughs> oh, 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 you mick bastard. So on November 10th, 1924, so from this point on, I'm kind of tiptoeing our way to the massacre. Yes. So we're in 1924 at the behest of Capone's boss Torrio who is now in charge of the south side gang Torrio has Obanion murdered and this happens uh the front for the north side gang was uh they had a flower shop mm-hmm. and Obanion apparently was very good as a florist and very good at arranging flowers but it was all it also served as like their uh, right. their meeting place, right. So they would so they, it was like right above the floor the flower shop. they would have all their meetings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So he that hit is put out. And the reason why that hit was put out was because apparently there had been this alliance that had been in place between the north and the South, but it had sort of slowly eroded. these guys can never, you know what? They're just not very honest. <laughs>
1: No, they can say that there's there's territory, there's maps <laughs> drawn, but inevitably somebody's out of line. Somebody whose due respect is given a lack of respect in a, you know, there's so much offense given. And- so
0: much pride and offense. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Yeah, so much of that shit. And that often is more of the problem than just like, I want everything. Like, it's far more about like, you're stepping on my toes. So I'm gonna cut off your toes,
1: <laughs> right? And it's a, you know, it's it's a masculinity-driven hey. body, and Completely. so it's driven on that masculine dominance energy constantly.
0: It's and, so it, yeah. it gives me the ick, as the children would right. say. Why can't we all
1: just have our piece of the pie? Because the more we're shooting each other up, the more we're gonna bring our, our own downfall.
0: That's funny that you say that because that's actually, that's actually a direct quote from Capone during a meeting that comes I've, up later. I've quoted Capone
1: accidentally before. We were very similar <laughs> <to them. laughs>
0: people. Oh. Like, I've heard that before. Okay. <laughs> so you're also shipping that you're somehow tangentially related to Al Capone?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think karmically, mentally, I've downloaded some aspect of
0: him. Yes. <laughs> Def- oh, definitely.
1: <laughs> well, when I'm if I'm Churchill and I'm not made up, I look like Al Capone. <laughs> Pinstripe suit, bitch. I'm Al Capone.
0: <laughs> I'm Girl. clean shaven, you know. Girl. I'm Al Capone, big old you're, face. You're so much cuter than Al Capone. <laughs> he's such a, a mug yeah. on that guy. Yeah. Oh, god. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's yeah,
1: scary like DSLs. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Terrible receding hairline, syphilitic as fuck.
1: <laughs> oh my god. You're better than that. I just intimated that Al Capone had dick sucking lips.
0: You might have. Yes. <laughs> we're going to notice I'm, how come, I'm you, going
1: back to it. I don't know about it. Okay.
0: I tried to ignore it. You <laughs> wouldn't let me. <laughs> that, any,
1: not anyway, letting it go.
0: Anyway. So the reason why Torrio had this hit put out on O'Banion was because in spite of the fact that they had had all these alliances, things were falling apart <laughs> And uh, he had actually tipped off O'Banion had tipped off some cops to uh, I think I think it was uh, possibly some some sort of booze shipment. And it ended in Torio getting arrested and jailed. So naturally, Torio gets out of jail and he was like, he's fucking dead. <laughs> Get that mickdasted. So alliances are broken. O'Banion is murdered. And that begins a five year gang war between the north side and the south side gangs. And basically oh if only it was pew pew. It's more like Mm -hmm. Tommy gun,
1: which is you know a big automatic gun. Very distinct.
0: Terrifying gun. I watched a video of like a gun expert showing really how it works and sort of the action on the gun Mm -hmm. and the way it just it's so idiot proof. Which is great because a lot of these guys were straight up idiots.
1: <laughs> and you're like running up to a place and trying to unload and the d- guns Just, will never jam, will never fail on
0: All you have to do is keep your finger on the fucking trigger and it'll go until it empties. Yeah. Which is wild. So the damage you can do with these fucking things and why so many of these crime scenes were so heinous. They they ter- it's a terrifying weapon. Right. Makes, makes a statement with the overkill. Overkill and efficiency. Mm, really. Yeah. It's not likely you're going to walk away from this one. No. <laughs> when there's Tommy guns involved. So the, the way that this this five-year war progresses is it's basically it's a lot of assassination attempts on various leaders and some successes. So after Obanion is murdered, another Gentleman by the name of Earl J. Jaime Weiss or Weiss. The North Side Gang was really interesting because it was like Jewish, Irish, German—like a real hodgepodge of ethnicities.
1: Right, real um, Ellis Island of organized crime. Yeah, whereas the yeah. South
0: was strictly eye ties. They were they were much more of a <laughs> united colors. of <laughs> <than it's on. laughs> Not really. So, yeah. Weiss is the leader, and then he is assassinated. Womp. On October 11th, 1926, which then makes Moran and another associate sort of dual leaders until that guy is killed. But he's he's not killed in a gang war; he just dies separately. So at this point, Moran is the leader of the North Side gang. Um, Oh, and by the way, when the hit was put on Jaime, Mm
1: -hmm. who was
0: also killed in the flower shop afterwards, Capone sent a basket of roses to the funeral that simply said from Al.
1: So creepy. Fuckers. (laughs) So scary. So
0: So now it's officially Capone versus Moran, and they fucking loathe each other. And here's my favorite thing that I learned about Moran. One of the main reasons why he didn't like Capone and had like no respect for him was because of his involvement in prostitution. Hmm. He felt that it was just so vile. And horrible because All of these guys are also Fucking Catholic
1: They're so hung up They're still so hung up
0: Which is so funny, I'm like, you're professional Murderers Yeah. And you're mad that people are getting paid To have sex That's your problem
1: Right, it's like Don Corleone being against drugs It's like, get on the coke train Okay, what are you doing (laughs) It's It's going going fast (laughs) the the, the red road only goes to Coketown. If you, if you get off the train, you're stuck here.
0: Yeah. Come on. Come on. So yeah. Oh, fucking Catholicism. (laughs) So so, so
1: this is the crux of the, of the, of the disagreement between the two men is the, is the, the manner of the way they conduct their business.
0: Well, it's not, it's, they've got so many other issues between them, but that's the reason why he doesn't respect him. (laughs) Which is
1: the biggest F you.
0: Yeah. He thinks it's disgusting. Um, which is just fucking Catholicism, right? Right. And it's also funny because all of these gangsters, minus obviously the Jews, being Catholic is, creates a very good argument for not letting Catholics in this country. <laughs> 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 Damn it. <laughs> True. All right? So they are just killing they're just trying to kill each other non-stop so many attempts on capone's life attempts on moran's life successful murders of each other's people until finally they kind of both taking this, hits they're both taking hits absolutely so finally they're like this is fucking nuts well, let's organize a little peace conference so they meet at this conference and this is where capone actually says you know They're making a shooting gallery of a great business. Chicago should be seen as a pie, and each gang gets a slice of the pie. We have no idea what he sounded like, by the way.
1: (laughs) Al Capone, LaGuardia, Roosevelt, yes. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Rooseveltini.
0: May West. I don't know. (laughs) He sounded like everyone. So uh, supposedly he obviously was from Brooklyn, so he had a New York accent, but I think he lost it over time from living in Chicago for so long. Because the other thing is, remember, these guys are pretty young. Mm -hmm. Capone is a mob boss by the time he's fucking 26 years old. These are young people involved in this crazy shit. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so he thinks everyone should have a slice of the pie. And the two gangs are like, okay, let's have a piece.
1: I ordered a pizza. Let's eat. Okay.
0: Let's each have a slice. Capone probably had four or five.
1: They just dis- they disagreed about the kind of pizza. Al Capone <laughs> shot <'cause> went-
0: <laughs> you putting pineapple? You motherfucker! <laughs> Deep dish. Get the fuck oh out of here! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> So this piece would last for a while, shockingly. There were no killings as a result of gang war, and things are seemingly going okay. However, the North Side kind of always seems to be the instigators. They seem to be the ones who just can't keep their shit in check, which is hilarious because there's always been way less of them than the South Side. Mm -hmm. You would think they would watch their shit a little bit. But they can't stop themselves. Mm. I don't know what the, what it was about them, but they yeah. really couldn't. So it's Moran. He starts hijacking Capone's beer shipments. Uh-oh. And Capone would then retaliate by burning down Marone's dog track. And then, lo and behold, mysteriously, a few days later, Capone's dog track would go up in flames. And... It could only be one guy's fault. So we're back to open warfare between the two gangs again. That's it. Moran orders the execution of two union leaders who were very powerful allies and friends of Capone. That's a dick move. A big dick move. And this is the other thing that I didn't mention about Capone yet. But he, I mean, his hands were in everything. He wasn't just extremely powerful as a gangster. He was just a powerful person. Person. He had corrupted the police, the politicians. He was also just a straight up celebrity. People knew who he was even then. And that was unusual, also, because most gangsters tried to not be really find showy about
1: it yeah not public public entities at all
0: yeah i don't want you to know that i'm public enemy number one for fuck's sake
1: no for all you know i work at Jenko olive oil or i, I work at a exactly. you know construction site i'm a florist yeah what, what?
0: yeah what, i would never so this all leads us to since valentine's day mm. it's 1929 so here's the facts of what happened that day it's about 10.30 in the morning on February 14th, 1929. We find ourselves inside the SMC Cottage Company garage at 2122 North Clark Street in north side of Chicago. <laughs> See the crime. See the crime. Moran was offered a truckload of Canadian whiskey at a bargain price. And who's going to say no to that? <laughs> they get the big fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, it's like, that's pretty fucking obvious. <laughs> if it's too good to be true, you guys, it probably is. You want a boat. Come with us. <laughs> oh, a boat. Oh gosh. So he orders it to be delivered at 10:30 in the morning to the garage. And so, uh, and that is where he would keep his bootlegging truck. So the trucks are there for him. This is like his space, essentially. So There are seven men waiting inside the garage at this time. Meanwhile, four men, two of whom, according to eyewitnesses, were dressed as police officers, pull up in a Cadillac, which appears to be a cop car. They enter the garage and immediately ordered Moran's men to throw down their weapons and line up shoulder to shoulder facing a wall of the garage. Assuming it was a raid, which, of course, happened frequently in the bootlegging business, the men complied, threw down their weapons. Zero resistance did as they were told. Once Moran's men were facing the wall, the four men opened fire using their Thompson submachine guns, a.k.a. Tommy guns, which were also, I love that they're affectionately referred to as the Chicago Typewriter.
1: I had not heard that.
0: I hadn't either, and I love it.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) The Chicago Typewriter. Um, And again, Capone's weapon of choice. Hint, hint. Uh, And a shotgun and they are spraying bullets back and forth across these men to ensure that all are killed. Mm. Two of the men are even finished off with shotgun blasts directly to the head that essentially blew their faces off. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh, it's overkill, like you said, Luke. In total, 70 rounds of ammunition were fired. The victims were Moran enforcers Peter Gusenberg, Frank Gusenberg. And Albert Kalchulek, who is also known as James Clark. Uh, Moran's business manager, Adam Heyer, or Heyer, I think it's Heyer. Mm -hmm. Albert Weinschenk, who was also uh, helping run businesses. And (laughs) Reinhard Schwimmer, who weirdly seems out of place because he was an optician. Oh, no. He just happened to like hanging out with gangsters. Someone we also like to... Maybe they all grew up as. together and they're still friends. Nope, just an idiot. Oh, my God. <laughs> he likes to look tough. And look what and look what you get.
1: Hey, go and then, yeah, go for
0: it. And then poor John May, who was Moran's uh, auto mechanic. He was just there to fix the cars, man. <laughs> and he got it. He got it good. He was one of the ones who had his fucking face blown off. Uh, so by the time the cops arrive... Uh, and and they were left. Not all of them necessarily died immediately, but they were left for dead, regardless. Yeah. And by the time the cops came there, all were dead except for Frank Gusenberg, who, despite being riddled with twenty-two bullets, was still clinging to life. Yes, good lord! They got him to the hospital, and when he was repeatedly asked who did this, he wouldn't talk. Wouldn't Boys. talk. Ever the good little gangster. Wouldn't the names, names. Nope. And he would die within three hours of the shooting. Hmm. So the only survivor of the shooting was a German shepherd named Highball who had been tied to the bumper of a car.
1: Poor Highball, he saw some shit.
0: Highball saw some shit. But at the same time, he never talked because he's not a fucking rat. not a
1: rat piece of shit. (laughs) He did what he had to do.
0: So eyewitnesses would say that they saw Two policemen go in with two what they thought were two plainclothes cops. Mm-hmm. They hear this rapid gunfire. Yep. And then exiting, there are two police officers holding two men at gunpoint. Hmm. Beyond that, there isn't much more detail or evidence.
1: All happened so quickly.
0: It's fast, man. That's why these. You know, I, I, I'm calling this an unsolved murder, but so many of these are. And
1: it's the virtue of the design of organized crime. That's like, you know, it's like a cliche. We think we, organized crime is code for mafia. It's like, But what is it essentially? It is professional. It is not a crime of passion where you try mm-hmm. to cover it up in the moment or like whatever. All these other murders we've it's talked It's just to. business. Right. And it's that, uh, you know, there's always this, this, the costuming. The, you know, the, if anybody sees anything, this is what they're going to see. They're going to see a completely staged thing that we've choreographed. It's going to telegraph a certain story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it would be safe to assume that the doing it this way with these four guys, it's like no one's going to question it if two co- if you hear a bunch of gunshots and then you see cops leaving with two guys. Because it's like, all right, well, the cops took care of that part and they're going to cart them away in their cop car. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a good plan. It really is. Yeah. But without witnesses to the murders, the crime is essentially unsolvable, except for the fact that everyone knows Moran and Capone have been trying to kill each other for years. Mm -hmm. So, like, all signs point to Capone. And when asked about it in the papers, Moran says, only Capone kills like that. And. Capone, who was actually at his house in Florida at the time, which is his alibi, essentially, Mm -hmm. as if he couldn't possibly be anywhere else (laughs) if people are being murdered on his behalf. But anyway, he says, oh, the only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I like it better when you say it, Al. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Moran knew that he was the actual target. Was he uh, supposed to be there? He was supposed to be there. In fact, uh-huh. he was there. He pulls up. He's a little he's a little later. And so by the time Ooh. he got there, he sees the Cadillac with two cops. Yeah. And so he's like, ah shit. We're being raided. What's the move here? I don't know what to do. So I think him and a couple of his other associates went to like have a cup of coffee and like mull it over and figure out what the fuck are we gonna do?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so then it all went down. So seconds away seconds, minutes, really, yeah. Um, so he mm. kind of lucked out right. by not being there, but it, it it was so clear that he was the target. Because they, they were always trying to kill the leader. They Capone had been, they had tried to kill him multiple times at this point.
1: Right, and this is like, you know, this is a dramatic execution in terms of the graphic way it was done. If it was Moran who was there, who actually fell, yes. mm-hmm. would have been a big it's, deal.
0: Yeah. And so... The main suspect in this is another semi-famous gangster, if you know anything about gangsters, Jack, machine gun Jack McGurn, who was a made guy in uh, the Southside gang. And uh, he was a a total maniac, loved the machine gun, his weapon of choice for sure, obviously based on his (laughs) cute little nickname. (laughs) He was charged by the cops. But he wasn't brought to trial because he had his quote, what they le- what they called in the papers in the pipes, as his blonde alibi, which was because his girlfriend uh, Louise Rolfe claimed we spent the whole day together, and so I don't know. I don't know. Fucking wh- face off. Why that would be a good alibi? <laughs> oh well, if his girlfriend says he was with her, then it must be true. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he's not charged. It's likely was Sigurn, who was one of the people who committed the crime. And it probably was on the orders of Capone. Right. But uh, we'll never know. And so as a result, so many theories, so many different beliefs about what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of all the different conspiracies because I'm going to stick with what I believe is the actual truth, which is this. <laughs> which is that Capone ordered this. Uh, Jack McGurn was one of the main murderers in the crime. And and like you said, Luke, this is this is the beauty of organized crime. This is the beauty of having hired goons. They work under you. They do the dirty work for you. And, and once upon a time, you have to do that work yourself as you get sort of made over time. Indeed. So, yeah.
1: Did what do you not- think made what do you think made this particular execution so notable? Was it just that it became sensationalized by being Valentine's Day, the mass media?
0: So get into that next. Mm. Excellent chiming, my love. So <clears throat> the photos taken were so fucking grisly and mm. awful. And while you could say that at this point, people of Chicago had become a little bit numb mm-hmm. to the constant violence. And like and like I was saying earlier, I'm talking about extreme violence. This is 1030 in the morning and people are being machine gunned to death in a garage. There had been multiple attempts on Capone's life when he was at a bar or mm-hmm. in a restaurant. Like mm-hmm. it, these are happening out in the world. And so this is, it's, it's terrifying beyond belief and people are exhausted by it. And there had been like this period of peace where maybe everyone perhaps felt like, okay, we were taking a breath here before all the shit started up again. And then this happens and it's one of the worst things they've ever seen. Right the fo- and I don't know if you've looked at the photos in recent years the last time you have to, they they hold up they're pretty fucking horrible
1: yeah they're 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 really graphic I've seen them a handful of times
0: yeah um. um and so imagine that on the cover of every single newspaper in the country it proves just how out of control the gang violence is in Chicago um at the time the Chicago Tribune writes I'm going to do it in Chicago Tribune voice now. These murders went out of the comprehension of civilized city. The butchering of seven men by open daylight raises this question for Chicago. Is it helpless? We hope not. (laughs) We shall see. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the general feeling of the public was this can't go on anymore. And our, our buddy, our little local celeb who people kind of loved Capone becomes the major focal point of everyone's ire. They're done. Mm
1: -hmm. They're just
0: done. It's made living there terrifying and unbearable. Public opinion has completely shifted Mm -hmm. towards just these fuckers have to go. I like gin as much as the next guy, but holy shit, this is a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Draw the line here.
0: Yeah. So... That's why the feds ultimately begin to ratchet up their investigations. And for the next few years, Capone just is constantly getting arrested Mm -hmm. for like little charges here and there. That's how he ends up in Eastern state for a short stint. And really, as we know, he's finally is brought to justice because of the only thing the federal government really cares about, which is tax fraud. yes. Thank God. So rolling the credits, what happens next? On November 24th, 1931, Capone was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison. He was fined $50,000, charged $7,692 for court costs, in addition to $215,000 plus interest due on back taxes. Because <laughs> Uncle Sam's going to get his. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you darn toot him
0: he he tried to appeal of course and i believe he was in uh, cook county during that time uh but once every all his appeals had run out he'd been denied 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 uh he is in the us penitentiary in atlanta until he ends up in alcatraz and by then he is really falling apart in terms mm. of his syphilis he mm-hmm. has yeah he has syphilitic paresis Oof. which is basically as bad as it can get with syphilis, I believe it really at within the very last weeks, month of his life, the doctor who saw him said he had the all the awareness and comprehension of maybe a twelve year old boy. Yeah, he'd really taken a dip mentally. Wow. Um, so on November sixteenth, nineteen thirty nine, he's actually given one of those sort of humanitarian releases where it's like, listen, he is of no danger to anyone. And he's dying. Mm -hmm. So they let him out. He had served seven years, six months, 15 days, paid back all the fines and all the taxes. And really, that's all anyone cares about anyway. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh, He ultimately dies after a stroke, followed by pneumonia, which led to cardiac arrest on January 25th, 1947, at his home in Palm Island, Florida. He was 48 years old.
1: Packed a lot of living into those years
0: holy God and dying a lot of death a lot of
1: murdering yeah a lot of unaliving yeah
0: yeah so you know a very awful end to a person who lived a pretty fucking awful life so can't say I feel bad for the guy
1: (laughs) karmic karmic uh intervention
0: yeah and god knows how many how much additional suffering he caused by spreading syphilis around so burn in hell forever sir (laughs) Moving on to Moran, he never really recovered from the loss of those top guys Mm -hmm. in the massacre. And then prohibition is repealed. And now the only income the gang really has is through gambling because they're very against prostitution, as you know. And by then, the National Crime Syndicate in New York... They're the ones who are like really going after gambling in the United States. If you know anything about them, they essentially create Las Vegas, and so they get pushed out of the gambling scene in Chicago, and uh, they really don't have much left. So Moran leaves the North Side Gang, and soon after that, the gang just is gone too. It just mm. collapses. Moran goes back to a life of petty crime and he eventually dies of lung cancer in Leavenworth Federal Prison on February 25th, 1957. He was only 63. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a crazy story because you you think of all all of these murders that have happened through the years with this terrible gang violence of the 1920s and like you said luke it's it's remarkable that this one sticks out because it just was kind of the combination of it was so horrendous Mm -hmm. the way it was done that sort of the trickery the cowardice of it the the amount of people who were killed in this one murder that it was seven people sprayed to death with fucking bullets. The photos were grotesque and everyone was, everyone was just exhausted. It was too much. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was over, but nonetheless, it is still considered by Chicago and the FBI, an unsolved murder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we'll never, we'll probably never know what actually happened, but what we do know is that will not be the end of gang rivalry ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just the end of Moran and Capone. And the legacy lives on. I mean, there have been endless movies. The show The Untouchables that was on. Um, oh, is that the 60s that The Untouchables was on?
1: Yeah. And then um, I wonder, I love that movie with with um, Kevin Costner.
0: The Kevin Costner movie. I know. The Untouchables is such a great movie. It's so good. And just millions of... I mean, Capone is iconic at this point. Well, I meant to ask of- you,
1: and I'm sure oh, I've asked yeah. you in the course of the series. Did you see *Boardwalk Empire?
0: Yes, I've watched large portions of it. But yeah, a lot of this stuff is there.
1: Because yeah, Which- the O'Banion story is really done mm-hmm. up in that telling mm-hmm. um and when you were talking about Torio, I was like seeing the images of the actors in my mind um Yeah I bet. Yeah, I made me want to rewatch the show. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, it's cuz yeah, Al Capone is like a cool anchor in that show because he's the most real one of the real characters because like, Nucky as we've talked about um Steve's right. character is a composite. And so, yep. you know, as the sticklers for the the real real. It's kind of like when we encounter like a real, like a, like an actual historical figure in the Gilded Age or another one of these shows. We like, we lose a shit if we know there's going to be somebody who actually existed in the show because we're going to be scrutinizing, you know, and living for all the detail.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time, I'm, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be cool about
1: it. <laughs> deep breaths, deep breaths.
0: Ah! So, on to the best, the best part of our show, which is aside from the you know, legacy on t- TV and film. Yeah. The legacy of the Val- St. Valentine's day massacre also exists in the museum world, which is very cool. So the garage itself at uh two one two two North Clark street was demolished in 1967. So it does not yeah. exist anymore. The site is now a parking lot for a nursing home. So nice, <laughs> but the bricks of the north wall where the men were murdered were actually preserved
1: oh my god
0: yep and they got passed around by private buyers for a while and they have holes in them by the way they do Ew. um and then they were sort of displayed at different like novelty dimey museum shit a schlockathon if there ever was one
1: right between the but, jackalope and the fiji mermaid correct
0: correct <laughs> but in 2012 they were repatriated they were repatriated the nursing home. Mm-hmm. now they are with those old people in that nursing home living out their lives uh no they were actually purchased by the mob museum in las Ooh. vegas and they have been put up as a wall yes. where they like fill in with like fake bricks or whatever, yes. but they they've reconstructed the wall, the St. Valentine's day massacre wall there. Yes. So you can see the holes in the, in the brick and everything. And it's pretty cool. There are, there are individual bricks out there in the world too, yep. but who knows where the hell they are, who owns them. One thing that I'm sure many, many of you probably could have guessed this. There was a very, very strong market for mob-related artifacts. Yes, of course. People are obsessed with the shit, especially if it touched the life of Al Capone. I There was actually just at the beginning of January an auction, and the money that was being fetched from these items to these private crazy people was wild. Shocking. And over the years, some of the (laughs) – I'll read you, like, some of the most impressive things that I saw. A thirty-eight caliber pistol that belonged to Chicago mobster Frank Gusenberg, who I talked about before. He was the guy who, like, survived and then ultimately died. It was found on the floor of the garage on the day of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It sold – it's been sold and resold multiple times, each time for over $100,000. Incredible. In 2021, Al Capone's granddaughters sold his favorite gun for about $1 million fucking dollars. So I don't know what kind of dough you're working with, but see if you can get yourself a real-life, authentic piece of gangster history.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, their grandfather was making money, hand over fist, $60 million a year.
0: Ridiculous. <laughs> I, know, go, I know. One, one gun. I know. The Tommy guns were also recovered because and you might be saying wait how yeah. there was no evidence there were no murder right. so there was actually a raid on the home of fred killer burks <laughs> his house in michigan and it had been long suspected that he was part of the murders yeah. in some way and it sort of was then proven that this was a murder weapon and the way that they knew that was it was actually dr calvin goddard he was a pioneer in ballistics testing. Mm -hmm. And so he fired test bullets from the gun and compared them to the bullets that were recovered at the garage. And he used a comparison microscope closely. He examined the bullets and he therefore proved that it was the same gun that had been used at the massacre. So those Mm. Tommy guns now permanently live at the uh, Berrien County, Michigan Sheriff's department. So they live there from now on. I don't know if they like have them out or if they like, take them to, like, loan them out for exhibits and things like that. But they, they're they in existence. They're still around. I hate this. <laughs> Isn't it too much? And then finally, the best, if you want to go visit Al Capone or really, like, any gangster from Chicago, all of those bastards are buried in Mount Carmel Cemetery, a Roman Catholic cemetery in the Chicago suburb of Hillside, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, I just have to say, I get that Catholicism is about forgiveness, but seriously,
1: <laughs> it's the it's, yes, it's the best irony of of these guys is the devout Catholicism going to church on Sunday, donating <laughs> thousands of dollars to the church, having the priest over dinner.
0: Yeah, you know. Standing godfather, right. sister son, while you have her husband murdered. And like not even being like employer. a li-
1: like a lip like a like a lip service shitty Catholic, being the most Catholic you can be, because they're actually concerned about going to hell. Tony Soprano, you know, encapsulates it, you know, pretty marvelously. Yeah. It's great. It's
0: wild, wild shit. Yeah. So yeah. Well, thank God there's no longer gang violence in America.
1: That's all things <laughs> passed. Yeah. You know, nothing. <laughs> we're, about doing,
0: that. we're doing great. But there's huge Al Capone tourism. Incredible. You know,
1: like Alcatraz is a piece of him. They tell that mm-hmm. story. Eastern State, as we talked about. As we um, talked about. and all these places Cooks like County.
0: because he, he's certainly yeah, he, Cook County he was in jail everywhere. Any
1: any <laughs> cell he was he sat in, you know they're putting a plaque on that shit, selling a postcard, hawking it. And there's a huge also like in places like uh Chicago, the mob history like walking tour like it's like a private tour company theme it's a huge draw and uh they're fun i mean those kinds of programs because they're usually not tied to an institution they're a little more irreverent it's a little more entertainment you know Um,
0: i think also so i think why this interest exists for a lot of people too versus like there's something about certain types of true crime that feel a little more grotesque whereas like being interested in this it's like all of these guys deserved what happened to them Mm -hmm. they're all pieces of shit and they're all killing each other when it comes to killing innocents that's a different story but it's there's something about like they're all horrible so who cares about their deaths you know (laughs) so I think maybe people give grant themselves a little forgiveness around that and why it's like it's not as gauche for it to be a fun time yeah to go on a you know gangland walking tour. <laughs> it is
1: a fine line between like, you know, if someone says they like they like Jeffrey Dahmer versus they like Bonnie and Clyde. We can kind of we can kind of understand the latter.
0: Yeah. Like there's a I romance, you,
1: there's an anti-hero-ness, you know. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna go by the site of Uh, Dahmer's old apartment complex versus I'm going to go by where the garage for the St. Valentine's Day massacre used to be. Who's going to get the weirder look? (laughs) (laughs) It boils down to that. They're both mean. (laughs) (laughs) By the weirder look, I mean me looking at us in a mirror.
1: (laughs) I'm like so glad they knocked down that Dahmer building.
0: Oh, fuck that. No, no, no. That place is full of of evil. So cursed. It it did not need to exist. Yeah. Uh, so that's it, y'all. Thanks. This
1: was a great tour. Where can I um, can I leave you a tip? This was fun. <laughs> Am I allowed to tip you? give yeah, a tip. Here we go. Is that dance where I try to slip you a twenty? Yes. <laughs> I'm not allowed to take tips. Give me oh, ask yeah. <laughs> me. Give me a tip. <laughs> just stick it in my pocket like I'm a, like I'm a, like I'm a, like I'm a fucking stripper. Yeah, right. There. <laughs> like
0: like my nana. <laughs> yes. She's just... No, nana, don't. <laughs> Don't. Mom said
1: you can. No. No. <laughs> you can't do that. Well, thank you for this cuffing season, season of romance. Thank you hey. for stirring the season, seasonal feelings of of love with the Valentine's Day Massacre at Redux. <laughs> I appreciate it. Of course. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Morbidly yours, Luke and Katie. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time, Morbid Valentine's. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at the Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official More Buddy today.
0: As always, we want to send an extra big thank you to our more buddies, in particular, our more bestie for life friends. Thank you so much to Jack Canfora, Jill Cohen, and Tristan Pearson for their exceptional support. Thanks so much, guys. We love you.
1: Until next time, we'll see you for another Gallery Talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>